Hey guys, welcome back to the Miss Independent Podcast. I'm so excited to have you back here. I have two very special guests coming on today, Sarah Glidewell and Emily Carnaz, and together they are the Carwells. The Carwells, who you may have seen on TikTok, are short-term investors, designers, and hosts, and they're also lifelong best friends who invested in the short-term rental space back in 2019. They've had to navigate through the pandemic, and being new hosts, have decided to share their experiences to the social media space to help others avoid some costly mistakes. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get into it. Thank you so much for hopping on and for being here. Super excited to get into this episode. Today, we're going to chat about Airbnb, about your background. And uh, I've been following along on your journey on TikTok. We just chatted a little bit about that off the air. Um, but TikTok is an amazing platform to connect with people. And, you know, when you're following somebody, you kind of get a sense of what they do and where they are. But I do want to um, ask you guys to share your story from the very beginning, how you guys met and how you got to where you are now. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's been so much fun watching your journey as well. And it's always like, kind of like a surreal moment when you actually get to connect with a person that you have like, like an already pre-existing relationship with (laughs) on TikTok where you like, feel like you know each other, but yet this is the first time we're talking in person. So uh, we love that. (laughs) Um, But with Emily and I, I always, I'm the talker. (laughs) You'll learn very quickly. (laughs) So um, when it comes to introducing ourselves, I'll let Emily kind of take that over and, and introduce us. Yes. So as far as when Sarah and I met, we met in third grade in our very, very small town in West Michigan. Uh, She moved to our school and we've been friends ever since. We followed each other to college. We followed each other. We moved out of state together and now we moved back in state together. We've done pretty much everything together, got engaged, married around the same time. So we ended up starting our business Carwell Design when COVID happened. So I got my master's degree at the very end of 2019, Sarah was working at an architecture firm. And in 2020, when the world shut down, I could not find a job because the world was shutting down and her Airbnbs, she scaled right before the shutdown happened. So we were in a very big pivot time in our lives. And so we just decided to start designing Airbnbs for other people. And we've done that for the past couple of years. And now pivoted a little more to the social media side of the Airbnb world. But yeah, so we've kind of known, I think we're coming up like 20 years of friendship or something like that now. That's crazy. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) She knows too much. She can't get rid of me now and I can't get rid of her now. (laughs) That's awesome. It's tough working together, like with, with somebody that you've known for a long time, uh, because you're, you're kind of like family and, you know, there's a bluntness that comes about, like you always, you could, you know, have your, the other person, um, know exactly what you're trying to communicate but you know sometimes there's conflict that that comes about (laughs) so have you guys ever had like a situation like that where you know there's a business decision and you just you can't um you can't come to like a conclusion oh good question I don't know if we've ever not been able to come to a conclusion we are very very opposite personalities you'll kind of see that because there's the talker and I'm more like behind the scenes organizer. You even see that kind of on our social media, you'll see Sarah doing the talking a lot of the time. Um, so we're, we're really good at bringing different perspectives to 
like disagreements, I guess, because we still have them. I mean, we've known each other long enough. There's no way we haven't had a disagreement in our friendship or in our business. So we just take the time to talk about it. And for us, we prioritize our friendship over everything else. We would both rather completely dissolve our business than lose the friendship that we've had. So I think that's always at the forefront of our mind is we can go do something else with our lives. And we would rather keep our friendship going than lose it over a a business decision that we couldn't agree on. Yeah. And I think also a big reason why it's, it's seemingly more um, simple for us to come to a conclusion is that I think we both value each other's um, strengths so much. So like with Emily, I'm like, like if it were just Emily, Emily wouldn't take any big risks. And if it were just me, I would take big risks that would bury me in the ground. And so for the both of us, it's like, for me, I know I can't take a big risk without running it past Emily and having her point out all of the dangers that I'm walking into. And for her, she's like, okay, let's just hang on tight. And let me make sure that we're not running into like any major issues and and Sarah will pull us forward. So, um, so I think the two of us together, it's one of those things that, you know, one without the other wouldn't get nearly as far. And so I think for us, we've just kept that at the forefront and it's made every decision going forward. Um, kind of in a way easy because we know that both of us are coming from a pretty pure place. I love that, especially the, the risk aspect. Like that's something (laughs) that, you know, like with me and my partner, um, like my fiance, we go through that all the time where I'm historically was a lot less risk averse. And so he kind of pulls me back. So it's, it's nice to see that you guys have both of those elements. (laughs) Yeah. I hate, I hate to be seen as like the pessimist of the partnership, but there has to be that person that's like, okay, let's look at this from all angles. These are things that could potentially happen. And is it worth them potentially happening? And we just have those conversations and if Sarah is like, you know what, I think that that's fine, that these things could happen and we can make it through, then we push forward. And then if it's not worth it, we pull back. So it works out. I love that. I want to ask you guys a bit about before COVID. So you mentioned Sarah had a couple of Airbnbs that she was scaling right before. How, how did you get into the Airbnb space in general? Yeah, good question. Um, so me and my husband, um, previous to getting involved in Airbnb at all, I mean, I went to school for interior design, so I always had a little bit of a love for real estate outside of Airbnb that was there to begin with. Um, but the three years before we started Airbnb, we started um, an insurance brokerage that my husband and his business partner had run. And so I spent a lot of time involved in that, um, in the building stages of that, just kind of, you know, running alongside of them. And um, that started going really, really well. And so my husband was like, look, I would love to retire you um, in June of 2021, I think was our original goal. And I was like, me being also entrepreneurial, I was like, that. there's literally nothing in this world that sounds worse than being retired at a young age. Like, I mean, having the freedom to choose something else is amazing, but like doing nothing, I'm just like way too much of an overthinker. I'm way too act like I just, I would go crazy. Um, and so we kind of switched. (laughs) (laughs) And so we kind of switched the narrative and I was like, okay, look, if I don't have to work a typical nine to five, um, anymore, then let me make it my goal to make the money that you're earning in insurance grow. And so we just started looking into different forms of investing and Airbnb was kind of a natural fit just because I was good at interior design and I had a background in it and it interested us. Um, And so when we got our first apartment, we just started Airbnb-ing it out on the weekends. We like one night 
you know, basically made it a date night and we took some like pictures of our apartment on my phone and we posted it and we were going away for that weekend. We were traveling somewhere and it like booked in four seconds flat. And we were like, wait a minute, (laughs) like, is this something that's viable going forward? And so it just started this spiral of like incessant Airbnb research for the next few months until we decided to uh, start scaling. And and now we're here. (laughs) How, how did you go through that? Like I, I've always thought about Airbnb my own space. We have some crazy restrictions in in Toronto specifically, where even if it's a triplex, you can only Airbnb the unit that you actually reside in and they get um, inspectors to come in and verify all this. So it's, it's really difficult to do. But when I was starting to look into it, I kind of had a moment where I was like, wait, do I really want people in my space? So how, how did you get over that? Yeah. Um, to be honest, that didn't even cross my mind. Again, it's like one of those things where I'm like, was so hyped up about the possibility of making some money while we traveled and and paying for our travel that, um, that was the last thing on my mind of a concern. Um, what we ended up doing was we, one, didn't know there was any regulation around subletting your apartment for a weekend out the gate. So we didn't even know, like we were so naive at that point. We were so undereducated on Airbnb um, that we didn't even know we had to look at our lease. So regulation wasn't on our brain when we first started. And then we just bought a new lock for our master closet and we just locked everything that was of any sort of value in that closet while we were traveling. And we let them use obviously all of our kitchen supplies and um, and we bought new sheets and new like a mattress cover and things like that. Um, but very soon afterward found out, I mean, we had been living in that apartment complex for several months at that point, And we had a really good relationship with the management and the management ended up almost catching us immediately. I mean, they were like, Hey, are you Airbnb this out? And we were like, yeah, like when we travel, we just, you know, let a few people come in and, and they were like, you're, you're not supposed to do that. Um, and at that point we had been doing it for a couple of months. And so we just explained to them our process. We were like, look, we've got the right locks on the doors. Like this, these are all the precautions we're taking. We can run background checks on them ahead of time. Um, if there's any, you know, suspicious, if there's like someone who has no reviews and is booking for one night last minute, you know, all the maybe typical Airbnb red flags that might mean that, um, somebody's, you know, bringing a bad clientele in. And once we kind of explained that to them, they were like, you know what? we'll let you do it until we have a problem. And we've been running it there ever since and haven't had any problems. So it's been a good experience, but, um, but yeah, there's definitely some big regulations around apartments and Airbnbs in general in the States as well. So it can be kind of difficult to get into. Definitely. But it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. (laughs) That's my philosophy. That's Sarah's life motto. (laughs) Yeah. I want to ask a little bit about what you guys look for in an Airbnb and what you do um, when you're vetting guests as well. So it's like a two-part question. We can we can break it down. Yeah. So first, how do you vet guests? And um, the second one would be, how do you actually vet places that you're going to invest into? Yeah. Emily, which one do you want to take? I'll let you go first. I'll do the places you can do guests. <laughs> okay. Um. So specifically when we're looking, I mean, my husband and I are looking to invest in our first property, but I've been a part of Sarah's process of looking for um, her properties as well. So obviously you want to run numbers on your property. You want to look at your competition and see how profitable you can be. Um, Specifically, like right now we're looking in Michigan. So waterfront properties are kind of a really big deal around here. 
Um, but so yeah, you want to analyze how much it's going to cost you up front, how much cash on cash you can make on the back end, but then amenities that you can offer to kind of push yourself ahead. So if it doesn't have a hot tub, can you invest in a hot tub to bring it up? Um, if it has waterfront, that's a huge amenity, something like that. So really that's what I'm looking for when I'm investing in a property. Um, and these like more saturated markets, like Nashville, Gatlinburg, Scottsdale, you have to be able to invest like a lot of money up front. So I'm look where you look more in like mid-tier markets where we don't have to put as much cash up front to get those bigger amenities to stand out as opposed to like how much you would have to invest in the really big markets. Yes, a hundred percent. Second all of that. Um, <laughs> and like with Superhost Labs, we are investing in those big markets. But I mean to to walk into those markets and be competitive, you've got to be willing to buy massive houses and do all the murals and buy all the amenities and, you know, have the best photographer to really set yourself apart. Whereas Emily's right in Michigan and in some of the smaller markets, you just, the, the competition levels aren't there yet. So you can really set yourself apart and catch that stride before um, hedge funds and private equity come in. <laughs> um, as far as vetting guests, so for us, you know, I have um, a few properties that are arbitrage that are one bed, one baths in Texas. And then I have a property in Michigan that's um, much more family oriented and much more targeted towards longer stays. So with longer stays, it's a lot easier to um, kind of vet your guests because people are planning so far in advance for their family vacations. So they're in there for a full week um, and they're usually booking, you know, at least a month out, if not more. Um, and so those guests are, you know, don't require a lot of vetting at all. Whereas when you're dealing with like a one bed, one bath, and it's functioning very much like a hotel and you're in a Metroplex, that's when vetting guests becomes um, a lot more important because you just never know what people are looking for in a last minute reservation. And you've got a lot of people coming in to party and a lot of people coming in to, you know, do debaucherous things in the city <laughs> for a single night, which like we're all for, right? As long as it's responsible. But um, for us, we don't allow anyone who doesn't have any reviews to book same day for one night. Mm -hmm. So for us, that's like, okay, it's a person who's planning last minute, kind of desperate for a place to stay and, you know, is kind of picking the bottom of the barrel um, of, of places that are left on Airbnb to rent. And so we don't like to be in that position anyway, but if we do get a guest like that, um, sometimes they won't have their like ID verified on Airbnb. And so we won't accept their, um, their request until they upload their ID. And then when they upload their ID, there's several websites that you can go on that for like $3, you can run their email and their ID, and it can just give you a brief synopsis of whether they have any sort of a record or whatever else. Um, and for us, it's it's the exact same background check that the apartment complex would run on you if you were looking to rent the apartment complex for, you know, a lease to, to live there for a year. So that's kind of our way of being respectful of the apartment complex and making sure that we are upholding the same standard of clientele that they would allow to stay in the apartment too. So um, it doesn't take too much extra effort, but we definitely want to make sure that we are <laughs> within good standing with our landlords so that we can continue running our properties. Gotcha. The, the credit check is like such a key thing for, for my property. I have um, a triplex and we have tenants on like each floor. So 
when we were getting renters in, the first thing that I did was verify through single key. It's an app and you, you can do a criminal record check and it does a, a credit check as well. So it's a really, really comprehensive platform. We use it up in Canada. I don't know if you guys have a similar product in the States or if they're going to expand into the States, but it's, it's like $25 per person. So to do it for every single potential renter would definitely add up and it would eat away your profits. Um, but I can see like why that's so critical. So knowing it's $3 <laughs> to do is, uh, is definitely a good sign. But um, so I want to circle back to something that you said, and I, I want to get a little bit more clarity on this for the listeners. So you said that you want to uphold the same standards for your landlords. So arbitrage, can you just explain what that is and go into that a little bit more in detail? So arbitrage is where you don't own the property. You are renting the property from a landlord and then furnishing it and then re-renting it on Airbnb. Um, it's a super great way for people to get started in Airbnb who don't have maybe great credit or don't have enough money for a down payment on a house or don't want to make a commitment to a house first. They want to rent and re-rent it to kind of take a baby step into the Airbnb world. Um, it was really, really popular a few years ago and pretty easy to get in a few years ago, but it's been all the craze in the States for the last couple of years. And so now landlords are really worn down by it. Um, and they've been hit with a lot of really inexperienced hosts, which I mean, everyone, including myself at the beginning is inexperienced. So, um, so it's, you know, it's just how the cookie has crumbled, um, with hosts, not, you know, being willing to match their landlord's standards and, you know, create some bad experiences for landlords. So now landlords are a lot more strict and there's a lot of landlords that'll say no um, to arbitrage opportunities, but they are still out there. And there are people who are still rapidly growing their arbitrage uh, portfolio today. It just takes a lot more effort to get a yes today than it did two years ago. I, I can definitely see from the landlord's angle you know, why they'd want to avoid arbitrage, just having like more wear and tear on their property, not being able to vet the guests that stay themselves. And you put a lot of trust into the person that's actually managing the property. So I completely get it from both sides. Um, does the landlord get a cut of the property or of the, the actual profit that you generate? Sometimes. Um, it That all comes down to the negotiations between the landlord and the Airbnb host. Um, for us, Typically, we try and keep that as the last thing that we're negotiating, because for us, you know, if if I'm working with a landlord, I'm so focused on design and a higher end clientele because I want to be able to get the most out of my uh, property as I possibly can. And I want the best cleaners in there. Like if, if I'm, if I am a landlord's tenant as a host, I'm going to be leaving your property in like new conditions. So when I hand it back to you, it's going to be better than if you had a full-time tenant in there for a year. And now that we've been doing it for a while, we have landlords that can vouch for that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of ways that experienced hosts um, can get around having to pay the landlord extra because we're willing to sign long leases. You don't have to worry about trying to find another tenant in 12 months. We'll sign as long of a lease as you want us to. And we'll, you know, we, I would be more apt to say, Hey, I will just keep up with inflation, whatever inflation is for that year in increased rent than pay you more just because I'm Airbnb. Um, but especially for new hosts who don't have any landlords who will back them and, and vouch for them and say, yes, they do leave my property in great condition when they leave. Um, then a lot of times that is on the table where they're like, look, I will pay you an extra 100 or $200 in rent a month, um, compared to the guy next to me who's living here full-time. If you'll just let me Airbnb it. 
there's definitely a huge element of actual like active work involved with, you know, messaging people, approving, going through all of that, um, finding cleaners, going through the check-in check-out process, which I'm sure you guys have automated, but from, uh, from a landlord's perspective, if they're just getting steady income, a lot of people want to build equity and don't want to go through the hassle. So I, I can see how it's appealing for them as well, but right. On the design front, you mentioned murals briefly. I've been following you guys for a while, so I know that that's kind of like your bread and butter. But what else do you guys do? So you come in, you want to make a space beautiful, you want to appeal to a higher end clientele. What do you do to get a place to look like that? Yeah, Emily, I'll let you take this one first. Yeah, so obviously murals <clears throat> are really of the big focus with the mural is like an Instagrammable moment we all live our lives pretty much completely online at this point when you're going on vacation half the time you're going because you're trying to get instagram photos so if you make that a focal point in your design you'll get a lot more bookings that way especially if it's like within your first five photos you're showing that off but putting in amenities so if you are analyzing your property correctly you're looking at your competition and the way that we say it is you need to have every single amenity that they have plus at least one more to be booking over them. So if they have a putting green and giant Jenga in their backyard, you need a putting green giant Jenga and life-size chess or something like that to make yourself kind of push past your competition. Now, if they don't have nice design on the inside, but have those amenities, that could be the thing that pushes you over the top, but just providing extra amenities and investing in your design upfront, making your property look more luxurious lets you list at a higher price point, which means the kind of clientele that you're bringing in is kind of a higher tier clientele. You don't have to worry about your property getting damaged as much because people are spending a lot more money to stay there. So you just kind of set yourself apart from the hosts that are having to replace things a lot because they're getting damaged because the clients that they're bringing in are not top tier clients. Mm -hmm. 100%. And the murals too, I mean, they kind of serve two purposes, murals and amenities. Um, one, I mean, it creates an Instagrammable moment, but two, when people are scrolling through the Airbnb um, options that they have for whatever location they're looking for, we eat with our eyes first. And so, especially when we started in the arbitrage game and we were investing in and designing apartment complexes almost exclusively when we first started, Every single apartment complex, especially in DFW, because all of the construction has been in the last 10 years, all of the walls are either gray, white, or beige. And so everyone who's arbitraging has this same general box that they're working with. And so for us, we saw that as an opportunity of like, if we could make one wall, that's the focal point, just be like loud and punchy and grab attention then at a very minimum, we're going to get more clicks on Airbnb, which will move us up in the algorithm, which will allow us to get more bookings. And so we saw that work time and time again, um, especially with apartment complexes. And so we've carried that through every single one of our listings and we've watched other people do it and have great success with it. So um, it really is kind of, you know, just having a little bit of bravado on your marketing front on the Airbnb um, website itself to really grab people's attention. I think it's definitely all marketing. So the fact that you guys broke it down like that, where the wall or, um, you know, the mural is a scroll stopper. I can hundred percent see why that converts so well. And, you know, Airbnb being an algorithm and, and being like a piece of tech that we use day to day. Um, do you have any tips for somebody that wants to start out is building an Airbnb 
how how can they um you know take some of this advice and like create actionable things that they can do within their own space yeah good question um my advice there right now is there's a few key things that i just think are like non-negotiable you cannot miss um, as a new Airbnb host, and it will absolutely set you apart, especially when it comes to the algorithm and your marketing online. Um, one is obviously design. Like if you are going to prioritize anything, prioritize design, it's going to set you apart from your competition. But two, if you invest in that good design and you don't find a great photographer to capture that design and show it off, it all was wasted. You know, it's like, it's not going to translate nearly as well on the app. Um, three, the new craze that I think is converting really, really well that not everyone's doing yet. It's still on the front end. So people who are listening to this, you've got the inside scoop, but, um, twilight photos. So if you're a photographer will come out and it'll, they'll take photos at dusk and they'll, you know, Photoshop in a nice sunset behind your property and they'll brighten all the lights. And if you've got some bistro lights and some sort of an outdoor amenity, whether it be a fire pit or a hot tub or a grill or a nice patio or whatever else, those twilight photos as your cover photo are so different from everyone else that you're scrolling through. Everybody else has a daytime photo. And so that nighttime photo um, really jumps at you. And then obviously the murals, they still, um, do a really nice job of having an attention grab. So kind of all of those things combined, um, really help you when it comes to marketing your Airbnb in comparison to the sea of other Airbnbs around you. Yeah. And Airbnb itself is prioritizing those things now. So like other platforms like Verbo and stuff like that, I don't know if they are, I don't, I haven't paid as much attention to those platforms, but Airbnb itself is prioritizing well-designed and well-photographed units. I think the statistic is you can make, was it 15% more or hosts that have professional photography make 15% more than hosts that don't. And so skipping over that stuff is leaving money on the table. That's huge. Like that's 15% profit that someone's missing out on. So yeah. Yeah. And your iPhone does not take as good of photos as a camera. (laughs) I know the iPhones are really good now. They don't, it's not the same. You know, the big thing is just the wide angle and like photographers see a space differently. Like they see the lifestyle and how people interact with it. Whereas just like an everyday person will not, and will be able to capture it in the same way. So those yeah. are some awesome tips guys. Like I really appreciate that. I've been looking into the space for a while. I definitely want to keep growing my portfolio and I think Airbnb is the next move for me. So this was super helpful. Um, but I want to ask like the environment that we're in right now, we're definitely in a recession, like no questions asked. And a lot of people have fear around making big moves, especially at a time like this when interest rates are rising. So what are your thoughts? Is Airbnb still as lucrative during a time like this? Yeah. We just talked about this actually earlier today. We were talking about this. I'll say one thing because Sarah has a little, a little bit more advice, but I just watched a video from this guy. If people are in the Airbnb space, they probably know him. Rob Ilt, he makes a lot of Airbnb videos and he's really successful in the space. And his words were, okay, yes, as we're going into this, your profits are probably going to lower for a little amount of time. So you should maybe have a a reserve backed up so that you're prepared if you don't get bookings. But he was like, what we're really doing is going from a 40% cash on cash to a 15 to 20% cash on cash. 15 to 20% is still fantastic as far as returns go, especially when you're comparing it to the stock market or crypto, which is completely crashing in times like this. So yes, you might go down a little bit 
but you're still making great returns when you're comparing it to where else you could have invested your money. Ditto. Emily, <laughs> I love all that. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, at the end of the day, an interest rate is just another line item on your pro forma as you're analyzing properties. Um, and I mean, typically with Airbnb, it's a buy and hold game and you're going to be cash out refining anyway. So you just have to make sure that you can afford that mortgage payment with that high interest rate for a period of time. It is not going to be your payment forever. Um, and historically, I mean, I know that 2008 is like a very hot topic for everyone. They're like, oh, you know, real estate doesn't always do great. Like remember 2008, but in reality, 2008, there were so many factors playing a role that just don't exist today. Like most of what happened in 2008 was caused by bad loans and people using loans irresponsibly and, um, and, and that being legal to do at the time. And now it's just, it's not the case. You're not able to get, you know, an 80% loan for your house and then get another loan for 20% and you're walking into it with 0% down. That just doesn't exist um, the same way anymore. And so I don't think that we'll see that same crash that we did in 2008. I think that we're going to, um, we're watching much more closely to other recessions beyond 2008. And in those recessions, real estate came out on top. So Yes, I think we'll see a dip. I mean, in general, when the economy is hurting and people are hurting, they're going to travel less. But I can't imagine that they're going to travel less than they did in COVID, <laughs> for example. And for me specifically, I mean, there were some people in really remote areas that did incredibly well during COVID. And for me personally, I was in a Metroplex. So I was in a location that the world really stopped. Like travel came to a screeching halt. And even when travel came to a screeching halt, there were still people moving around who needed, you know, a place to stay because they were displaced because a family member had COVID or they were coming in for travel nursing or whatever else. So um, people are still going to need a place to live. You might have to switch it to midterm rentals for a minute and you might have to get some travel nurses in there for three months or whatever else. But um, I read a statistic the other day that said that, you know, the, the longest recession we've seen in real estate was like 10 or 11 months total. And so if you wanted to be on the extreme safe side of a recession, as long as you had 10 months of mortgage or rent saved up, you should be able to make it through and make it out the other side. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a preparation game. And um, unlike the stock market, real estate isn't something that you can pull out of nearly as quickly. So I think with that comes a little bit more preparation than what you see happening in the stock market where it just completely crumbles the second confidence is pulled out from underneath of you. That's why I always preach diversifying. And it's funny how human psychology works. Like when there's a sale in the stock market, everybody freaks out. And, you know, when there's a sale at Sephora, um, you know, people are celebrating and going out and just buying everything. So psychology is an interesting thing. But I love <laughs> yeah, that you mentioned sure. like the average recession in real estate lasts 11 months. Like there is so much opportunity in real estate. I love real estate because you can actually make improvements and create value and you're not just relying on somebody else's company to, to do that. You know, you are running your own business essentially. So there's a yeah. lot of opportunity there. You guys yeah. mentioned, sorry, you mentioned performance and analysis. And Emily was talking a little bit about analysis too. So I know you guys have an Airbnb course. Um, we'll, we'll direct our listeners so that they can find it and access it and sign up if they're curious, but are you ever planning to actually release your spreadsheets as a product that people can buy as well? 
Yes, actually, we're working on uh, giving it away for free, to be, <laughs> to be honest. Um, we're going to offer that through Superhost Labs um, because really Carwells has turned into more of targeting the DIY clients. So people who want to do Airbnb themselves and they want to, you know, stand up a property on their own and they want tips and tricks on how to do that. That kind of is the um, corner of the market that Carwell is taking. And so we really spend a lot of time focused on design and DIY, but Superhost Labs really focuses on the investor who doesn't want to do it themselves and wants to do it passively and sees the value, but needs partners. Um, and so we're, we use Superhost Labs pro forma that we didn't create that someone else on our team created because it's much more comprehensive than anything that we had created previously. Um, and honestly, we, we kind of see it as almost an attention grab in a way. We, you know, have so many other products that we want to offer. And a lot of times you'll see on social media that, you know, TikTok influencers or Airbnb influencers in general, one of the main things that they sell is their pro forma. And all of them are very similar. But for us, we have so many other things that we sell and so many other things that we want other people to plug into that we're planning on just giving away for free. Um, and so that'll be coming up very soon. So you can grab it, download it. Let us have your email so we can stay in contact with you. Um, and so, yeah, be on the lookout for that, but it will be something that people can download at no cost. That's awesome. The fact that you guys are giving away like that much information for free is huge. And we'll definitely make sure that once it's live, people have access to it. But we're also doing a whole other episode about Superhost Labs. So this is part one for anybody listening. Part two is coming soon. Um, and before we close out, because you guys have offered like so much information here and I'm so grateful for your time. What's one last piece of advice that you want to share? Mm, Emily, I'll let you go first. Um, I guess, well, my piece of advice, and Sarah taught me this, is just jump off the ledge. I am what's uh, paralysis, or analysis, analysis by paralysis. paralysis. Yeah, I have that. I 100% have that. And I will sit there for the longest time and I won't do anything. And yes, you need to do your due diligence, but if you've done it and it looks good, go for it. Airbnb is this market that I did not even think I would be spending my life in. And now it is my entire career. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I would have never dove into something like this. I would have done all the analysis and I would have been like, yep, it can be profitable. And then I never would have taken that step. So dive off the cliff. Yes. I, <laughs> I love, love that. that. <laughs> um, my piece of advice for anyone listening is get on social media and let yourself be seen. Um, that has been easily one of the most powerful things that Emily and I have done. Um, there are a million amazing, intelligent people out there who want to work with you regardless of what you do. And they just need to know that you exist. And so I think that Emily and I had a lot of anxiety starting on social media and just being like, is what we're saying valuable? Like just so many what ifs, so many self-doubts, so many you know, reasons of why we shouldn't do it. Maybe we haven't been in it long enough. Maybe we don't know enough. Maybe we're not the most intelligent on the block. Um, but, you know, it brought us so much more than just design customers. I mean, it brought us other people in the industry who wanted to work with us. It brought us opportunities that allowed us to grow. It brought us investors. Um, it brings us real estate agents who are handing us off-market deals. I mean, it just the power of attention has been one of those things that's like been one of the biggest surprises to us. So aside from jumping off the ledge, just like create content just so you can be seen, like value attention over anything. Your community changes 
the way that you can run your business and social media is attached to that. Your community will make the success of your business. And you guys have done such a great job of that on TikTok, just fostering community, growing and, uh, you know, building a, a great niche. I think that's something that I'm struggling with a little bit is wanting to talk about all of these different things. Cause I'm curious about real estate, you know, the stock market, crypto, and there's people that have succeeded just go, narrowing in on one specific avenue. Um, so I think there's enough space for everybody to kind of figure, figure it out. And, you know, the big thing is to just do it. And the same thing applies to social media, right? It's scary at first. The first time I recorded a, a podcast episode, it was like, oh God, that's what I sound like. And now, now it's a lot better. So I'm sure yeah, you guys when we're, yeah. when we're posting TikToks, we're like, oh, this is so cringy. But then we yeah. post it and we're like, never mind. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I do the same. Yeah. I don't even rewatch. Yeah. I just post because the minute you start to rewatch, you get into your own head and you're like, nope, you can't do that. That's so accurate. I can't wait until I'm like 40 and I'm looking back at what I posted when I was in my 20s and I'm just going to be like, oh my gosh, why? Whatever. It's part of it. If you're not embarrassed by the first version of what you do, you're you're doing it too late. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so accurate. Yeah. But I appreciate you guys coming on. Like genuinely, I've learned so much from this, from this episode, and I'm excited to chat more about Superhost and get a sense of what you guys are doing there and all the amazing work that you guys are doing. But thank you guys again. This was fantastic. And uh, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having uh, us. Yes. Thank you so much. And uh, we uh, have been enjoying watching you grow on TikTok as well. So we have found so much value in what you put out too. So keep it up. <laughs>